1: betches media presents i like beer i don't know if you do, okay. do you like beer senator or not um, <laughs> my party is going back crazy
2: <laughs> You're the pop- alternative facts oh goodness the betches Sup podcast america Hello, and welcome to the Betcha Up podcast. I'm Sammy Fishbein, and today I am joined by someone who is kind of a legend. We are very lucky to have her here, Sally Krawcheck, the CEO and co-founder of Elvest, a digital-first mission-driven investment platform for women. Uh, Just to give you some of her background, previously she was the CEO of Merrill Lynch, Smith Barney U.S. Trust, the City Private Bank, and Sanford C. Bernstein. She was also the CFO for Citigroup. So not a very busy person. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time. It makes me
3: tired to hear you say those
2: things. It makes me <laughs> tired know, too, no. and you did them. <laughs> I know. I, I sort of can't believe it. Let's just start. Will you tell us how you have formed this amazing career, what led you down this path? You were clearly in investments much much earlier than many women were. Well,
3: I um I it was all part of a grand plan that I Put together in childhood, that is not true at all. Uh, when I was a child, I actually wanted to be a princess; that was my career aspiration. And then I love to say, when that didn't work out, I became a banker instead. Um, but you know, I went to—I grew up in the South, um, went to University of North Carolina, big Tar Heel fan. Went to New York mostly because my father forbid me from moving to New York, um, but also because. Wall Street, when I graduated from college, was a bit of the Silicon Valley of its day. And so if you could get a job there and you had a level of ambition and wanted to live a big life, you, you might do that. And so went to Wall Street with a full view that I was going to spend two years and then go back to the South. And it's been more than two years. Um, you know, I hate I had jobs I hated, such as an in investment banking jobs. I had jobs I loved, research analyst job. Yes, I'm a total geek at heart.
2: You're in the right room. Um,
3: yeah. But ended up, I just have loved the in, the intellectual part of it, the analytical part of it. And mostly at this stage of my career, uh, focusing on the fact that money is women's number one source of stress and providing a solution, um, you know, is really exciting for me.
2: That's really amazing. I mean, there's such, there's obviously such a difference in I think how women and men approach finances. Let's talk about, about women and money, mm-hmm. um, since that is what Elvest aims to do, is to really help women become more financially literate. Um, Actually, so, yes. uh, only on the way to get
3: to getting more money. What we really want to do is get more money in the hands of women. And if financial literacy is
2: a path, so be it. The second half of the podcast, we're going to talk about the pay gap yep. and leadership in, in companies and how women are struggling or, or how they're succeeding in getting there. Mm-hmm. So let's just start with financial advice. Do you think it's important that women receive financial advice or investment advice specifically tailored to them? And if so, how would it be different from what men need?
3: Yeah, so I'd start off with, if you'd asked me this question a few years ago, I would have said, absolutely not. And that, what are you sexist? What a sexist thing, what we need like some dumbed down, remedial financial education, just shut up. However, it doesn't actually matter what my opinion of that question would have been. What the numbers tell us is that what has been working for men has not been working for women, and it has left women behind that the investing industry, which, you know, is 98% of mutual fund dollars are managed by men and 90% of traders are men and 86% of financial advisors are men, have really turned investing into a sport. Buy low, sell high, alpha, watch CNBC, like it's ESPN sort of thing. And women have stayed away in droves. And so it's not so much do we need different financial education, you know, two times two still equals four. Um, But it's that the delivery has been more appealing to men than to women, probably because the industry has attracted so many more men than women. It's all sort of a sad cycle.
2: Is there any, but in terms of the actual advice for where someone should put their money Mm -hmm. or if they should invest more risky Mm -hmm. or if they should invest more safely, do you think that there's a difference in what men and women should actually be doing?
3: Well, what, 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 investment offerings should recognize is that women live longer than men, that women's salaries unfortunately peak sooner than men's do, that women take more career breaks, that we make less money than men do. And so recognizing that and building it as we do at Elevest into one's investing algorithm, therefore one's investing advice, is important. Gender-neutral investing, you will die on average. You will earn this, um, the average amount is really is hazardous for women's financial health. And so on top of that, then the way that the advice has been delivered, again, as sort of a trading forecast and, and you know, get more money, just hasn't been as appealing to women. So there are two things, the actual underlying numbers are different and need to be taken into account, which only LFS does, and then the delivery has just not been
2: appealing. Do you think that there has is it do you see any changes in, let's say, like the millennial or Gen Z generation who may be getting married later or maybe not getting married at all? Maybe not sharing their money in the same way that men and women used to combine, you know, finances. I'm I'm so
3: hopeful about this because when women um seed management of the money in their household to the men or the partners in their lives. And that money comes back to them later, which it does because we live six to eight years longer than men do. We're 80% of us die single. So if we're in a heterosexual relationship, we tend to get that money back. When we do, 74% of us have a negative surprise. Meaning there's not oh, as much as there's not as much been. money as we thought we did. And honey now that you're dead and I can't talk to you anymore. yeah, I thought you said you were making all the money from investing in IPOs and funny you didn't seem to be. So it's it's not a positive surprise, it's a negative surprise. So I am hopeful that the old world way of I'll manage the birthday parties, you manage the money, honey, is over. Frankly, I haven't seen a lot of research that suggests it. That yes, with women getting married later, they keep the money longer. Yes, I believe when you squint, you can see that more of us are investing our own money, managing our own 401k, managing our own you know keeping an eye on our own IRA
2: in an individual retirement account. The research is not yet compelling. interesting. in uh, my fiance and I actually do like a monthly finance meeting, Good. and I have to force myself to do it because I would personally I'd rather run the birthday party, but I know that I have to pay attention to exactly what's going on. and Of course you
3: feel that way because you have received those subtle and not so subtle messages around money through your whole life. Yes. Where, you know, little boys today make higher allowances than little girls for the same chores. Little boys today get higher grades in math at school for the same answers as little girls. The language parents use around money for boys is grow, dare. For girls, it's coupon, clip, and save. So and sure. when you look at your parents, dad's do, dad's reading the brokerage statement from Merrill, and mom is clipping the coupons. And, so, and then when we get to, you know, we get out of the home, um, there's plenty of male money media, CNBC, Bloomberg. There's very little female money media. And where there is, it's take the money quiz. What's your money type? So we have been, oh, you know, patronized and infantilized when it comes to money our entire lives. So naturally— when right. the guy the guys end up being overconfident about money, so they'll say, I'll do this, because I know how to do it, and we're like, I don't know how to do it, you do it, honey, even though the research tells us that women are better investors than men.
2: Elaborate <laughs> on that, tell,
3: tell us about that. So when women invest, we tend to earn better returns than men do, and this is true both for professional money managers, mutual fund managers, hedge fund managers, as well as for individual investors. And the reason is, is because men tend to flap more. And by flap, I mean trade, do stuff, panic in tough markets, check their accounts. And when you start to check your account, then you start to do stuff to it. Whereas women tend to invest. If they're doing it right, they're investing a bit out of every paycheck and they set a strategy and they let it go.
2: What percentage of one's paycheck would you say on average, we should be investing. Well, you a goal that you want to set,
3: and and do not have a sharp intake of breath yet, uh, but a goal that you want to set is twenty percent of your take home pay for future you. <gasps> okay, so let's break that down a little bit. That's going to be the money that goes into your i your four hundred one k your okay. IRA. So think about maybe 10% of that typically going into those retirement accounts. And you want to do that as soon as you can, because a dollar invested in one of those in your 20s is worth much more than your 30s, much more than your 40s, your 50s, and so on. You then want to be putting aside, when you can, another 10% for the home you want to buy in X number of years, the kid you want to have, the business you want to start, because you can't stand the company you work at right now, You know all the things you want to do in your future. If you can only afford 1% of your take-home pay, that's where you should start. If you can then take it to 2%, that's where you go. But over time, what you wanna shoot for is 50% of take-home pay to needs,
2: 30% to fun, and 20% to future you. It's great to know. Something that you hear a lot is that you shouldn't invest until you have have paid off your credit card debt or loans and you have money in savings. Would you agree with that um, advice? Yes, I okay. I would, with a couple of exceptions. Uh-huh. So the order in which it should
3: typically happen is pay off credit card debt because that stuff is can be poison. Those interest rates on credit card debt can be eighteen percent, twenty percent, twenty five percent, which we don't have to do the math. That's just a lot. That's just you know that yeah. that that you know dress you bought is you know worth you paid eighteen percent more for it. If you end up paying the stuff, you know, off over a year. Um, So that's some pretty hefty stuff. Um, You then want to build an emergency fund. Um, That's money that goes into a very safe bank, FDIC insured, can't lose the money, government insured, low interest rate, not earning a lot of money on it, you wanna get that to about three months of take home pay when you're younger, six months as you get older, life gets more complicated, etc. cetera. Then you wanna to begin to invest. Whoa, what about student loans? Well, if the rate on your student loans is say above 7%, yeah, you wanna start paying those off soon. sooner if it's below certainly 4%, pay the minimums, pay what you owe you know, let that ride, because you, you should earn more in the markets. Now, not to get too complicated, the one exception to this is if you have a match on your 401k at work. And so if you're putting in $100, and they're putting in $100, that's a 100% return. That's a 100% free money. And even the credit card debt doesn't cost you that much. So that's the one exception. If you have that match,
2: invest to get the match first. That's great. That's great to know. Um, so let's talk a little bit about women at work. Yes. Um, you've obviously started. Worked a lot.
3: <laughs> yeah, you've obviously worked. You've I've, had,
2: had, I've worked. You've yeah. done that. You've had a few I've done that. I've, I've couple of things, things happened you've, along the way to me. <laughs> do you want to tell, do you have any, do you have any glorious stories you'd love to share that have anything to do with sort of like the difference between men and women at work? Just any anecdotes. Oh, so
3: many. So, well, I'll tell you one right, right now. Um, Although I can, we can talk about the times I got fired, so that's always sort of juicy and interesting. But, you know, look, w- one thing that I'm a big proponent of these days is, is we women need to come together at work. That we have, while we were getting the message that money wasn't so much for us, we were also getting the message that you go, girl, you got this, you do this on your own, you know, go. And the guys have thrown each other business, promoted each other, put each other on the boards, funded each other's businesses for time immemorial. And we're sort of left, you know, not promoting each other because we got the subtle message, not so subtle messages, don't do that. Fighting for the one seat at the table that was there for a woman. And so implicitly competing against each other, not because we're jerks and bitches, but because that's the message we got in order to be successful. And so one of my big big pushes right now is we just need to help each other along we need to promote each other do the stuff the guys are doing and in particular if we don't do this you know we got a lot of male allies a lot of great men out there it's not enough it's not enough all the research that says that when more women people of color people in minorities are in senior level positions Company performance improves. If it's a Tuesday, there's another research report that says it's not enough. Right. We're just not making the progress. And so the anecdote I always love to tell in sort of demonstrating it's not enough is that I probably work with more men over the course of my career than anybody I know, even the guys. Because I was at all these different companies that were overwhelmingly male. And I worked with a lot of terrific, terrific guys. Some jerks, but a lot of terrific guys. So I probably interrupted more groups of men talking about more stuff than anybody I know.
2: How did you hold your own in that situation? Well, hold on. Let me finish this,
3: and then I'll get to you. And what I love to say is I never, ever once walked into a room, and there were like five guys there, and said, hey, guys, what's going on? And they're like, hey, Sally, funny you should be here because we were just talking about the power of diversity and particular gender (laughs) diversity for driving business like it never friggin' happened (laughs) and so therefore if we are somehow thinking that just the next piece of research is going to do it and they're going to move us along it's not Mm going to happen so we have to come together in order to
1: sort of storm the ramparts
2: So, yeah, I want to first know how you <laughs> held your own in those situations, especially really early on when it was, you, I mean, I have this image from uh, that movie On the Basis of Sex mm-hmm. about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, where it's just her and like all the suited men. Were, were you that, that person? Was that was me. Okay.
3: <laughs> I don't know how I held my own when I was younger. I think it was not holding my own. I think it was just not giving up that they wanted to drive me out of there, particularly the young men. And it was just, they were just Gross. There was just grossness. And so there were Xerox copies of male genitalia left on my desk. It was just gross. Imagine. And terrible. I'm like, what? You Xeroxed that? And there were no laws against I, I that? Have, I don't even know if there was, was there laws HR? against that. <laughs> Who even knew? <laughs> right. Seriously, like, I wouldn't have even known what an HR was. And I certainly wouldn't have gone to them. And so my 20s, it was just like, it was, I, you're not running me out of here. Not even because I had so much... Backbone. It's just I couldn't afford to lose the job. My right. parents were not well off at the time. They have four of us, age difference, oldest, to youngest, three years and 11 months. When I graduated from school, that's like, that's it. Right. And so I had a 12-month New York City lease and no savings. So it wasn't, let me show y'all, you guys, or whatever we said. It was I, like, I got I to gotta take home the pay. Yeah, And then later, I sort of managed to find jobs that were more individual contributor jobs, being a research analyst. And so then it became less about holding my own than more about showing the smarts. You know, if you did a, if you wrote a great piece of research with really interesting analysis that could help people make money, which I did, then the gender stuff sort of fell away. Nobody said, oh, This piece of research is excellent, except it was written by a woman and has cooties on it. And so therefore, I refuse to make the money this will make me because of your
2: girl cooties. It just didn't just didn't happen. Right. So you're like truly self-made like Kylie Jenner, you know. Um, My family didn't start off as as
3: multi hundred millionaires. So, So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Although I do recognize my privilege that I am a, a white woman. Um, And so there were doors open to me which are not open to women of color, to people of color. So to to some extent, I'm self-made in that, golly, Moses, did I work hard. And I'm also privileged in that I was able to go to the schools, get the interviews, um, not have to go through some of the barriers that,
2: that other people face. That's really amazing. So uh, Amanda and I were watching you on Trevor Noah earlier. Oh my God, how amazing was that? Such a great I don't interview. remember like a second. It w- it. I don't remember anything. It's like black out a good interview. Oh, it was, yeah. bla- it was yeah.
3: totally unconscious.
2: Well, you you were really, really amazing thank on you. it, really inspiring. It was actually watching it with our head of HR just to you know get everyone involved. Um, and something you said really stuck with us because something we are talking about here is how to increase diversity. And you were basically saying that doesn't work. Nothing that they say works, these diversity inclusion programs, mentorships don't work. So what? and you, you gave a reason for why it doesn't work is because middle management is yeah. not diverse. Yeah. But, so if none of those things work, what will work? Yeah, break the friggin' wheel.
3: Just just do it, forget it. You know, that's what's so crazy. Companies, you know, are, you know we're not as diverse as we wish we were. It's a pipeline issue. We'll, we have a mentoring program, we'll mentor more we have a sponsorship program, we'll sponsor more. We have a women's diversity committee, they will meet more. And so somehow the thing we were doing before that didn't work, if we do it more, then it will work. Not recognizing that the whole thing is flawed because the inertia is so overwhelming here. The desire of middle management, which is pretty you know, pretty overwhelmingly at so many companies, white male and middle-aged the desire when when told just go ahead and manage here here are our goals but you go ahead and run the place the desire to just work with people who are like us not make ourselves uncomfortable is just too overwhelming and to bring in an individual of color who might challenge you or have different thoughts is just you know like who, who's ah so they don't and so it just doesn't get done and so what works is the CEO just friggin decides to do it just do it just Close your friggin' gender pay gap and just tell people that until we can find someone who doesn't look like, you know, 1952 America, you know, whatever that supposed ideal was that, of course, stifled so many people, that we're not going to hire. That's what I did at Elevest when we started to hire too many white women, uh, which is our, you know, which is what we tend towards. I said, fine, we're just not going to fill the position until we find someone who doesn't look exactly like the rest of us. <gasps> Sally, you know, <laughs> but we're a startup. We we got it. You know, we, we're not profitable yet. We got to hire. I'm like, yeah, well, well, let's just see what happens. And you know, what's really funny is when you tell people that's what they, they're going to do, that's what they do. And guess what? We didn't have to lower the bar or any of those things that people said. We just had to expand our
2: network to find people who weren't exactly like us. That's really, that's a great lesson. In terms of other companies mm-hmm. out there who are who you think are doing it right, who do you who do you think has done a good job with this? Well, it's hard for me to tell because you
3: can't you can see what's outside, not what's inside. Um what I can tell you is that when we were funding Elevas, when we were raising money from venture capitalists and we had interest from a number of corporate venture capitalists in investing that I tried to be as mission-aligned, you know, from top to bottom as we could be. And so our corporate investors are folks like Salesforce Ventures, which has publicly closed its gender pay gap, PayPal Ventures, likewise, MasterCard Ventures, um, Morningstar. And so, you know, we worked very hard, Pivotal, which is Melinda Gates's investment arm, um, as well. So we worked very hard amongst the corporate venture capitalists to get those who we believe our values aligned with theirs, and then to get a number of investors who are female, who are part of the Silicon Valley all Raise initiative to bring more women into the industry, and our allies. And, you know, and look, you have a, you have a bunch of investors, you know, sometimes people do stuff that you're like, oh, that, that wasn't quite as mission-aligned as we'd love for it to be. Uh, But you do your best to do the best you can
2: up front. How do you, um, other than making sure that you have like the right investors Mm -hmm. when you're hiring, how do you, I guess, suss out if you are building a team of allies Mm -hmm. or not? Well, I think most people interview with us if
3: they are because we are so female forward. We are so about getting more money in the hands of women. When you walk through our door, You know, it is a company that looks like no other company in fintech or financial services. We are three quarters women. We are 48 percent people of color. You know, you just you look and you say this is not we're not in Kansas anymore or South Carolina anymore or, you know, we're just we're
2: in a different place. How would you define the culture of of Elvest aside from the fact that it's diverse what other qualities would you say that it has Look, that in, foster that We're
3: incredibly mission driven you know we are and we and as mentioned we try to do it from from top to bottom and our mission is to get more money in the hands of more women and so that goes from the investors because and I believe Elvest I hope Elvest will be successful so the returns go to them so they can invest in other female forward companies it, you know, an employee base than helping women invest and in oftentimes in other women. So this mission is right on through. If you are you know, a misogynist who really doesn't care for women and you know, believes that we need to put them back in the kitchen or whatever, then you're probably not gonna make it past the, the first round. It seems like <laughs> they
2: wouldn't enjoy being there much, honestly. I don't think we see a whole bunch of them. We're pretty, we're pretty clear. How many men do you have?
3: Well, um, or what percentage? So it's 25% uh, dudes. Yeah. So we're diverse. Yeah. We're diverse. We're about the same. Yeah. We're diverse. (laughs) And look, it's the power of diversity. It's not all of one kind. And every once in a while, you know, we need a little masculine energy here. Yeah. You know, we, um We need. Maybe we have a little decisiveness, a little bit of, you know, short-term thinking. Yeah. They're not all so stupid. No, they're lovely. Yeah. I, as I say, I've been married to a couple of them. I think they're amazing, <laughs> just amazing creatures. But it's the diversity which leads I to the strength, it. not the this this gender is better than that gender, et cetera. It is the diversity that drives it. And I'd say the other thing about Alavest and our culture is that that diversity leads to all kinds of debate. In fact, I was saying last week, I just wish someone would just agree with me every once in a while, every, I'd love to have an idea and people would be like, that's a great idea, and then we do it. You know, we're just f- testing and learning and debating and, you know, it's just very flat when it comes to that.
2: So how have you created a culture where people, where people below you are technically, hierarchically below you are are comfortable challenging you? Well,
3: because I'm so
2: open to it. So I say the
3: first thing is, as a leader, you have to be better at receiving bad news than you are at receiving good news. And so if you are so open to it and so unblaming and so, hey, uh, let's do a retrospective on what went wrong without any blame and admit when you are wrong and share the mistakes that you've made and be open to it, that's the first step where you see companies go wrong is, oh, I don't want to deliver bad news to so-and-so. I'll never forget when we were, way before we launched our head of product, our head of design, my first idea for the product we were testing. And it just was a failure. It was just felt flat. And they walked in to tell me, and they were shaking. And and you could just see it, because they didn't know me. And of course, also, because they've been socialized in our society where women who've been successful are all viewed as bitches, you know, that, I'm like, oh cool. Okay, what are we gonna try next? And they're like, wait, that that was easy and we didn't have to, you know, spend forty five minutes defending it and argue. I'm like, nope, that's cool, you know, I I trust you, let's let's move on. So I think it's first doing that. Um and then it's also loving the research and the debate and learning and having just a sort of an expansive culture of Loving, loving the learning as po, oppo- and loving that part of it as opposed to necessarily loving the getting it right.
2: Right. It feels like taking blame out of the culture might be really beneficial to women. I think that as women, we are prone to criticism, prone to being perfectionists or wanting to be perceived as perfect. Or else we think we won't make it, yeah. and I think that that when you have blame as sort of a or blame or guilt as a as a common emotion in in a company, I think that that ultimately probably has a harder impact on women than it does on oh, men. Oh, I even. think that
3: I think that's right. And just a safe environment. I had a young person um, who came to me a few weeks ago and had an issue at work and, and talked about how she had started to yell at her new direct report someone who was reporting to her and I actually stopped and I said I'm just trying to think about the last time anybody at Ella yelled and I don't think I can't think of one time one time that's great it, you know and I don't know if it's, it, it may be great and maybe we should yell a little bit more but I think you guys are
2: doing okay I feel like we're doing yelling. pretty well
3: I did, I did yeah. tell my co-founder, yeah. I, I just, I don't even know why I'm about to share this, but I was—I my, told my co-founder two weeks ago that he is the only person in my life that I have gotten mad at in five years. Wow. I,
2: yeah. That's, <laughs> like, that's a, a compliment. I, I, yeah.
1: I, yeah, it's just yeah. like, okay. It's you like, know what really? I mean? You
2: could like <laughs> try to start yelling and then maybe you guys will make like a few extra billion, but... Do you yeah. think it's worth it for the stress? Well, I, every
3: every once in a while, we don't yell, but we're like, yeah. <laughs> he and I, but just yeah. he and I. That's good. That's it's good. It's
2: fine. It's um, fine. I'm curious um, your thoughts on kind of like the lean-in doctrine. Um, that, that book came out mm-hmm. when I was, uh, my co-founders and I were one year out of college. It actually came out the same day as our first book. But I'm curious what your philosophy on that whole thing is. So... I think
3: there is some amazing research in it. Um, I think the intent of it is terrific. Um, I have, um, I've read it, I've reread it, I've underlined it, et cetera. Um, What I don't love is when people take it too far and take it to, I'm going to, I can do this on my own and I will do this on my own and this is me conforming to the environment. And I don't think when I've spoken to Cheryl, that's not what was meant of it. And, you know, getting back to what I discussed before, we need each other and that we have somehow been led to believe from society that we are each on our own and that we have to operate in the box as the box exists today Um, and that we can't shift the parameters of it. Um, that's what great startup founders do, by the way. Uh, but this idea that the rules are fixed, um, you know, means we haven't moved far, far enough forward and
2: quickly enough either. Do you think that, so women are taught to sort of rely on themselves. Do you think men are taught that? or No, do you, no? no, they're all doing deals together. They're right. all right.
3: And so this is sort of the crazy part. We talk about empowering women. We don't need to be empowered. We're 51% of the workforce. Yeah. We're 80, 85% of consumer spending. We control $7 trillion in investable assets, right? We have got power, but we somehow were socialized to believe we were on our own. Here, here are the terms of the game. Play the game as it is, like a 1954, you know, Mad Men or pre-Mad Men business environment, you know, you're on your own ladies. And so we sort of forgot what we knew in college and high school, which is success in college and high school was traveling in a pack. Right. Right. Nobody left a party alone. You didn't go to the bathroom alone. Yeah. We knew, we went together and then we went into the workforce. The guys all stayed in packs and we each became individuals as we were all shooting for that one seat at the table. Now, back to Lena, that's, you know, that I don't mean to to imply that's what lean-in meant. I know that's where it's been taken by some, is the, you know, okay, I got this on my own.
2: Yeah, with lean-in, I feel like when I first read it, and I was not as experienced with actually going to work as mm-hmm. at the time, I think that I read it and I was like, oh, this seems, I can do this. Right. It feels inspiring. It feels very ide- idealistic. And I felt like, oh, if I just... Act a little bit differently. And if I set my life up a certain way, I'll be able to have it all, as they say. Um, But I think that as I got older and saw the realities of working, that it's really not as sort of simple as it's laid out there. And I think that was kind of my personal disappointment with it. As I've gotten
3: older, um, I recognize also how much a role privilege plays, and how much a role luck plays. And by luck, I'm not doing the old, oh, I didn't work hard for the job, I was just lucky. I don't mean that. Everybody works hard. But when I look at my business school classmates, female, you know, none of them were any less smart than I was, worked any less hard than I did, were any less ambitious than I am. I am one of the few who's still working. And when you go through and say, okay, what happened? Um, this one worked for a Harvey Weinstein type. Not him, but that type. This one would have worked for a Les Moonbest type. The bigger issue is actually not those overt types, but as I call them, Todd. The, one, the women who worked for Todd. And Todd is a terrific individual, so it seems, Really, you know, sharp, smart, has a daughter, went to unconscious by his training class, tells everybody he's woke. You know, he, he gets it, right? He, Todd. Except Todd never promotes anybody but himself. He's, he's that middle manager where diversity goes to die. And what nobody told us, <coughs> and what nobody told us is that we were all going into the workforce, many of us, to work for Todd. And so with all of you know, the b- guidance we get from our mentors and our sponsors and this book and that book and the other, we all said, well, you know, I need to do X, Y, and Z. Oh, that didn't work, let me do X harder, Y harder, Z harder. And we'd be years into it before it's like, oh, it's him, it's not yeah. me. <laughs> Nobody talks about this, and right. that drives a lot of people out of the
2: workforce. Did you ever work for a Todd? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> how did
3: you how did you I got fired
2: you got fired so but so, yeah.
3: you know what's really interesting about my career is that I have both been one of the most successful the most successful at the time whatever you however we want to grade it women on Wall Street and I've gotten fired twice you're
2: like what how, how do those two things happen Because life is a series of ups and downs and failures and successes and. And different
3: bosses. And look, it wasn't that my business results were any different from one to the other. Um, Some of it, I had CEOs who were my boss who were like, go, 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 go. And then I had those who, who, you know, I had one who, you know, when I had my year in business review, my year in performance review, the numbers for the business were terrific. The turnaround was happening, it was top of the different businesses of the company, and the feedback I got was, number one, you, you, your work ethic is too strong, you're intimidating <laughs> other people, and number two, your profile is too high. And I'm like, but I haven't done any interviews except when I was being asked to do them by the company, and the only reason we got press is because my business is good. Yeah, well, that's your problem. Take your profile down. Now, these are very, very gendered things. There's research on them. But that's working for a Todd as opposed
2: to working for someone who's like, go, 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 go. Are you watching uh, the morning show on Apple Plus by any chance? Oh, yeah. So do you yeah. think Chip is like a Todd? <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of Todd. Yeah.
3: <laughs> as soon as you said it, I was like, this is yeah, this yeah, guy. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: He's yeah. not like the worst one at the top, but he's no, but he stops t- the guy from getting the promotion we keeps promising the promotion too. But
3: todds aren't aren't necessarily bad people. They're people who've been socialized as we all have. Right. And so when they go to promote, they I think they really think, I really do want to promote a person of color. You know, except Jim. Justice, my intuition, you know, this other person seems, you know, the research tells me the diversity will lead to a better result, but... Jim, just, God, love Jim. I, Jim's just the best. And of course, Jim looks just like him. But,
2: right? It's like looking in the right. mirror. Here's my question about a situation like that. And rarely is it ever that two people are so comparable mm-hmm. that it's like one thing different. What if Jim's numbers or what, what metrics, let's say, for performance really are better? Mm-hmm. W- in that situation, what would you advise? But that's it's not often the case.
3: Okay. What what is what the research tell so the answer is of course yes you should promote Jim fine what the research actually tells us is that the bar is higher for women and people of color yes that we promote white men based on potential because it is easy for us to imagine what they will accomplish because so many of them have accomplished and we promote people in the minority at work based on achievement and so what I saw again and again was not that the results are better and you promote them. It's actually the results would be worse, but you gave them more of a leg up. So I had an instance when I was running Merrill. I had a Todd. It was a guy who, you know, was I think he was co-head of the Women's Diversity Group or went to all the meetings or whatever, and when we were doing a reorg, came to me and said, you know, here, here are all the people who keep their jobs in the reorg, and they're overwhelmingly white men, but they're just better. They're just better. And he went through everything. and all made sense. And I said, but bring me back the numbers just so we can just have ourselves buttoned down for the board. And when he brought back the numbers, he's like, you know what? I just got snookered. You know, right. the, they're, these guys are just more confident. And so they exuded the confidence, that, and I believed that their results were better.
2: Right. Confidence really is big. We had um, a writer, Meredith Feynman, on to talk about her book, Brag Better, a few episodes ago. And she she basically kind of gave the advice that women are not accustomed to advocating for themselves and to looking at themselves as as capable and and wanting to advertise their achievements. Well, and that's in part because
3: we get a backlash when we do it. Yeah. So then we're viewed as bragging. So so. You know, it's a fine line. I was actually at Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs, so the preeminent Wall Street firm talking to their women's group, and one of the women raised her hand and said, how do I brag more about myself? And you know, I can't remember what my answer was, it was some half fast something. And the woman who was on stage with me, who was the moderator, said, let me tell you how you do this. The way you do it so you don't get a backlash is you don't brag about yourself, you brag about the team. And so it's the team did such a great job. And by definition, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, Goldman Sachs, they got to play this game. Yeah. Right? You know, it's the most more. successful Wall Street firm, you think just everybody, bra- just just let it out. None of this bullshit. You know, just you say it, it. Right. OK. Yeah. You never yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, my mom you might can. be listening. Yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> but it's, you know, you think in a place like that, they'd say, let's get rid of all this bullshit. And let's, you know, just say what you mean. But
2: they were still playing the game. I mean, I will say I just started working with a coach Mm. and um, she wants she literally today says she wants me to text her a brag every day of something that I did just to get used to looking at positive things rather than harping on, you know, small negative things. You know, I'll tell you
3: one thing I give myself credit for is I've never had um, what's it called? The imposter syndrome ever
2: Tell, Tell us about how that <laughs> how her. that went. I just don't have it,
3: Be, probably because I was
2: I it your started, parents.
3: No. Well, yes, I mean, they were. You're amazing. You can do anything. You know, oh, boo hoo. My friends won't come to my birthday party. That's because they're jealous because you're so amazing. I'm like, oh, (laughs) is that why they wouldn't come to my birthday party? Because I thought they didn't like me. Um, Because I have glasses. But uh, so, (laughs) corrective shoes. But uh, so. so That's what built the character. Oh, yeah. Well, I always say there's nothing they could do to me on Wall Street that was worse than what happened in seventh grade. Girl, yeah. All girls school, seventh grade. Oh, God.
2: Br- brutal. Yeah. Brutal. It's like you gotta go through it at some time. If you go through it early, I actually think you're setting yourself up for a I better later. I can still make myself cry about
3: it. Uh, there was oh. a girl named Sally. I won't say her last name, but she was so mean to me. And she was
2: jealous of your name. I mean, not you jealous, know, but you know. Something was She going wanted on. to be the top Sally. Well, she was, actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's because she was so mean to you. I
3: know, so yeah. mean to me. yeah. Anyway, it was so bad my mom pulled me out of the school and sent me to another school. But anyway, back to the point at hand so I think because I started working on Wall Street in my 20s and therefore was with the air quotes masters of the universe and was like you're not smarter than I am you're just not Michelle <laughs> Obama has a quote like that yeah it's just, yeah. just not so and you can't outwork me right so you'll outwork them I'll outwork them I was happy to outwork them so th- therefore I just never wallowed in it that's amazing mm-hmm.
2: I'm really gonna listen to this when I need some some encouragement but you are you know you you know you know how great you are thank you what you you built thank you But I have a bit of imposter I will say I have a bit of imposter syndrome yeah but part of it is also like I still just feel like I'm just a I'm just a girl becoming a woman who started this company (laughs) and you know this is just kind of the it happened and now I oh it didn't just happen so never do anything as a joke because you could be doing it for 10 years. <laughs> just,
3: <laughs> yeah. But the rejection's yeah. important, right? The rejection is the way to get you to where you're supposed to go. And right. not in that sort of woo-woo way of this is the plan for you. Yeah. But because you, because you weren't supposed to go there. Right. Right? Yeah. If you were supposed to go there, you would have been accepted. I mean, when, when I got fired, it's like I'm just not supposed to work there. Right. And maybe I didn't know that, but they didn't want me. So therefore, I wasn't supposed to work there. That's it. So when I got fired, this is the best day of my life. It feels like the worst day of my life, really does, badly. And I'm going to drink as though it's the worst day of my life. But it's the best day. It's just only going to become clear later. And I will turn it into the best day, because I'm not going to give up until I'm doing something that is important and impactful. It's
2: amazing. Uh, I just want to go back to something yeah. you said a little earlier how you were saying how you want to outwork how at mm-hmm. work men. I think there's a rap women get for being competitive with each other like yep. it, and it feels very middle school it feels mm-hmm. like the Sally who who's the bully yep. kind of like your nemesis at work is the person is the other woman yep. who yep. who you could be competing with. Do you believe that it's actually true that women are more competitive with each other or that that is just scarcity a mentality? Rumor. Well, it's not a rumor. It's but true, because, it's
3: true. Okay. because there's a scarcity mentality. For men, they know if there are 10 seats at the table, nine are for them. And so they and their friends can be at the table. We women, my generation, knew if there were 10 seats at the table, one is for us, then it's you or me. And I always knew I wasn't competing against the men. I was competing against the other woman for that woman's seat at the table. And I have to tell you that I, I do a series of dinners at my home um, with senior women who've who've made it to the top of their industry. And there's not a dinner that finishes, because there is wine, without a woman saying, "I that was me. I was the queen bee. I knocked the... The chair out from under me because I wasn't ready to give up the position, and so it was just an it was smart economic
2: decision versus anything else, right? So in those situations, let's say let's say someone listening is mm-hmm. is in a situation like that at work, what would you tell her to do in in either position?
3: See, this is tough, so it's a little bit like the Todd position of I am in a very difficult situation. So what do I do? The The answer, there are plenty of answers, right? You talk to the person, you get guidance from your mentor, you talk to your, I mean, there's all the stuff you can do, but sometimes you just got to leave, right. right? That if this individual is at, has that seat at the table, isn't willing to give up, isn't going to change how she is, she's, you know, 50 or 60 something years old, this has worked for her. You know, to think that you can somehow reason with her rationally, to think that you can change a Todd, you know, and I'm very cognizant of the fact that not everybody is in a position where they can leave a job, Right. Um, but be aware of it, Um, be, you know, have your head up, find another job within the company if you love it, if you can talk to HR, find another job outside the company if you can, but recognizing that sometimes you're stuck. I know that's yeah. not the advice you want to hear cuz we all want that right. very empowering page 37 of the new book of how to be successful <laughs> just like the billionaire ba 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 da, da da da. You know, but again, recognizing some degree of that success is luck and sometimes you got bad luck and you work with terrible
1: people, right?
0: No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem. With more meat, that's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com.
2: Just before we close out, yeah. um, I want to take this like a bit bigger. I think a lot of times you hear from from men that there's like a bit of a i think there's more fear amongst men especially since me too there's this whole i can't Mm. joke about like this thing you definitely hear it in the commentary like oh well you know they're gonna care about this woman getting promoted because Mm -hmm. she's a woman do you think that that fear is warranted by men and and i feel like i know what you're gonna say and how do we get past that like what what's the remedy to that In this generation? Is there one in this generation, or are we waiting like two more? So, after a life
3: of privilege, equality feels like scarcity. Right. And I literally had a man who's got to be worth hundreds of millions of dollars who I was speaking to recently talking about how tough it is to be a white man now to try to get on a board. And you're just like, wow, you, wow, could you just? go away right, someplace and not speak to us anymore. Um, and so, you know, this sense of we've been called out. Um, my friends are being called out. Did I do something that I didn't mean to do? Am I, you know, I'm on uncertain ground. I think this discomfort is OK, but I don't think we should worry about them so much right now that this discomfort of, I'm uncertain, I don't quite know how to act. Well, welcome to our world, right? Right. Welcome to the world of people who've been outside of the majority for a period of time. Um, so I think for us as women, you know, my best advice is, is roll on. Talk, you know, speak out if you are comfortable and confident in doing that. Um, and of course my solution is, you know, which goes back to the Ellevest mission, My whole solution is I just wanna get more money to women. And that is, yes, by having them paid more, certainly, but also by having them do something they do have control over, which is to choose to invest. And so I'd say the best career advice that I can give anybody isn't act like this and do this and contort this way and lean this or lean in or lean to the side or lean out. It's to invest. Because investing, historically, if taking, what, 15 minutes? And the gender investing gap has cost women, women listening to your podcast, hundreds of thousands, for some of them, a million dollars over the course of their lives. And we put it off because we get these messages that it's not for us. It's very complicated. It's more of a masculine pursuit. You know, you have to know what alpha and standard deviation and all that stuff is in order to do it. And it doesn't have to be that hard. At all of us we try not to, we make it, you know, as straightforward as we possibly can. Um, And that difference, if you have got that money, then you've got that confidence. Money today is women's number one source of stress. The act of saving and investing is our number one driver of our confidence in our future. And so when you get stuck with that queen bee who's not helping you out, when you get stuck with that Todd who's not promoting you, if you've been investing for some number of years and you got some money in the bank, your degrees of freedom are wholly
2: different than if you haven't been on that note, I think we have an offer we do. for our listeners. <laughs> this is the perfect segue. I still have one more question for you, but we'll do this first. So, look, this is so important to me and to us that
3: we've brought a, co- a promo code BETCHES. Um, when you make your first deposit at Elevest, if you go into the app for the gift code, um, just type in BETCHES or go to Ellevest.com slash betches. And that, as you open your account, that'll put the $50 in it. And so, for those of you who are saying, I don't know, I think investing is risky. This is like literally risk-free.
2: I mean, fifty what will $50 be in 30 years? Well, my head of what compliance pro- will not allow will, you, like you to say. project that. Right. There's a lot of rules. There's a
3: ton of rules. But historically, the returns in the equity markets have historically been 9.5% a year, even with up and down markets versus in your bank account below 1%, close to 1%, close to 0%. In fact, the other piece of research that always surprises folks is if you had invested in the equity markets on any day since 1926, any day, and had left the money in for 15 years, your chances of a positive return were 99%. And so part of what keeps us from investing as women is not that we're not good at math or good at investing, it's that we have Overestimated the risk of investing historically, and so it's, you know, it, it's it's to me it's sort of the real lean in, which is you can do this, and you can you can't make the market go up, but you can control the action
2: of investing. It'll make you feel great. It's a present to your future self. It is indeed. I like At that. At the times where I've pushed myself to take the money out of my out of my paycheck and put it into an investment rather than put it just like have it sit in my savings to save. I yeah. guess or to spend on something I know that I'm when I see the statement from oh, that I investment like six months later I don't miss that money at all and I'm so happy to see what I have so Bingo. well this is yeah. why what's exciting in Ellevest is
3: the significant majority of our users have recurring deposits and so you set up something that maybe it's one percent of your take-home pay put two percent whatever and just never look at it never see it Away it goes, and then, you know, if if passed as any guidance, it compounds over time. And to your point, I mean, I did this with my kids uh, with 529 plans for them. Put the money in when they were toddlers and just let it sit there. And then all of a sudden, it paid for friggin' college. That's amazing. Not that I'm old enough yeah. to have children who went to college. Yeah. <laughs> but, so so yeah. a friend of
2: a person I know did that one time. slash batches. Put in. Five dollars, you get fifty dollars. Now you have fifty-five dollars, and it it'll put you on your way to to investing. I think we can we can all start there. Um, So my last question is: Why do you think America won't elect a woman? Why do you think it's so hard for women in the presidential race to to get a fair shake from the media? it's it's all part of the same thing it's
3: it is it's a ma- it's a white man's world and when even the us sitting here as women, when we think president or c e o or leader, what pops into our mind is a white male and not that, anymore for me well good, but subconsciously for the vast majority of people, that's what pops up um and because it's so ingrained for us, because we have been brought up, the research tells us that women, that men looking for power and attention, they're being men, the research tells us that as a society, when women are seen to be looking for power and attention, the emotions that men and women experience around that are, hold on, I always love to get it exactly right, ah, contempt and disgust. (laughs) Great. Contempt and disgust. And so that... I then think those be- are like
2: the two leading emotions that like predict divorce, actually. Of course. Well,
3: that's exactly right. Yeah. And so we look at Elizabeth Warren, and she's skinny and she's shrill, and she's the, you know, and she's. The, and and I have felt this in business of the too hard, too soft. Da, da, da. And the other research, and this was in Lean In, is the more successful women become, the more reviewed as bitches. And so it isn't as though you get more senior and it gets easier. You get more senior and it gets harder. You get, you know, I, I think I was reading an article about Elizabeth Warren, you know, she, she did the hard part with all of her plans, now comes the even harder part, right, yeah. now that she did the, the hard work. Whereas for men, as they become more successful, we think they're more likable. Right. So it's, you know, it, look, well. Do you think that's changeable? I hope so. We, you know, we did have our first African-American president. We now we've right. had a big backlash against it, too. Um, but what's not going to work is that if we take whoever the we is, hold women to not just a higher standard, but much higher standard than the men. You know, that again, we've been socialized to do it. Then we're shooting ourselves in the foot.
2: Right.
3: And I love men. Again, I love them. I think they're. Many of them are fantastic. Are nice. They're nice. They've, they've had their turn a lot.
2: Yeah. I mean, they, they, they have a lot of power. They're good. I think we've heard from them. We can hear. I know we. Yeah. They, <laughs> we you know. know. Yeah, they brought us World
3: War Two and World War One and I Vietnam did. War and the Korean War and the atomic bomb and the burning of the Amazon and climate change and <laughs> you know it's ours hurt. Yeah. Here's an idea. Yeah, let
2: someone if the financial in, crisis right. brought to you by men. You know, it's so interesting that when you think of all these things, and I really think that if you did have women in charge. I mean, even the example you gave that women get better returns for investing. Okay, so then why is it that the gender that is supposedly better at all of these things, women are more are better at resolving conflict. Why is it that the men are the ones in charge? Like, it is it is baffling to me. Because they're in, they're in charge. Physically stronger? And they stay in charge. Is it they're well, get, because they're physically stronger?
3: No, but they're not promoting us, right? So right. And it, what I saw on Wall Street... Is that they, yep, diversity? Yep, here's the research, but I'm just going to promote this person like me. And then they never get fired for it. Right. They never get dinged for it. They never don't make more money for it. And because it's a meritocracy, in air quotes, you got to let a them manage. You got to let them manage. Right. And so, in fact, diversity outperforms meritocracy. So that's why I said it's not. Whatever is going to make this change is not going to be doing what we do and do more of it. The CEO needs to decide they're going to change it. Or we start our own companies. Yes. That is the
2: best way. It
3: just will t- age you, that's all. What? It just ages you. Mm-hmm.
2: It does. It really, does. <laughs> really? Yeah.
3: Like bad. How, how do you stay sharp? Me? You. That's a good question. I don't know. do you in your free time? I cook.
2: Oh my gosh, okay. I've been saying I really want to take up cooking, but I then eat it all. That's my issue. Bring it here. Cook low calorie. Like, here's the solution cook low calorie. My problem is the quantities, not the calories. But I'm okay. I'm glad we have a little hobby in here. And I also,
3: Peloton, although after this creepy Christmas commercial, it's really bothering me. It's weird. It's weird, right? A man made that. Obviously. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
3: It's weird. I'm a big fan. I love yeah. Ally Love. I mean, I, I, I mean,
2: Cody is the best. But that commercial is creepy. Yeah. I mean, if you look at Peloton's history of commercials, they're all a little weird. They all seem to be set in like a future murder scene. I understand that, and and sort mm-hmm. of that. I sort
3: of felt like we were in on the joke. Yeah, right. Like. What, would you really put your Peloton in the middle, you know, in the middle of your, of your living, living room? room. Yeah. No, but that's a joke. Like, we were all in on it. This one, I think this guy's like an abusive Sick. murderer. I agree. Someone should. And why did do she leave
2: him? Investigation. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's really yeah. bothering me. I mean, it's one of those things where mm-hmm. I'm like, how did this get through the approvals? Mm hmm. Like, there, I assume more than one person saw this and said, right. okay. He said How did it get through layers? Right? Like, boy, that woman really needs to lose some weight.
3: Right. <laughs> yeah. So like oh, yeah. that, remember that Pepsi commercial? Kendall Jenner. Kendall Jenner, yeah. the join the conversation. <laughs>
2: right, like you're Kendall Jenner. Are you kidding me? Share a Coke. Oh, it's a Pepsi. It's a Pepsi. It's a Pepsi. Pepsi. Okay, I actually think Pepsi has messed up their commercials so many times that I actually think they may do it on purpose purpose. to get spoken about.
3: People are thinking the Peloton
2: commercial was on purpose. You know, I hope. i don't know i I mean that is a a way people can i tell you i don't i don't have peloton but there is a peloton bike in my apartment gym the building okay and because peloton had been spoken about so Mm -hmm. much this morning i was like why don't i go try that bike interesting and did you i i went downstairs i went downstairs to do it, it but um i didn't have the right shoes oh that's your excuse Yes. Got it. <laughs> then, it, wasn't, it was an excuse it fully, I literally texted my fiance whose shoes I was wearing because he cycles just not on Peloton mm-hmm. and I texted him I was like the shoes didn't fit I'm secretly happy of course <laughs>
3: yeah. Yeah. I was like I'll go to work early
2: <laughs> um, but yeah this has been incredible Thank you. I mean I know we say on this podcast that we don't want any more billionaires in the race but like I would make an exception <laughs> for you
3: I'm not a billionaire so we're fine
2: oh well not even close why does it say that on Google? Do you believe everything you see on Google? <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's like a vetted thing. Although I guess no. they say Donald Trump's a billionaire. Yeah. So no. I know we said we didn't want any more very wealthy people in the race, we but go. we would still welcome no. you. I'm not. Going would you going ever to run for no. public office? Mm-mm. I think you'd be great. You're
3: very kind. Um, I'm not saying it to be kind. I don't actually think. Good. Well, look, I think we can make a bigger difference with Ellevest. Right. That if, if you actually step back and say what what is the most impact I can have from my time on this earth? Given that I've had this career in investing, given that there are very few women who are in those businesses who could pull together the tech team, raise the venture capital money. Um, when I started to look and say, if there's a gender investing gap and we gotta close it, who's gonna do it? I looked around and said, it's, I, think it's God, I think it's me. And so if I looked at that versus at one point I looked at becoming a regulator, where you can have the bigger impact, this is actually it. So I really feel like I'm doing what I was put on this earth to do.
2: That's amazing. How it's does that feel? Fun. Exhausting. Exhausting? Yeah. But that's what we all want. Yeah. We all it's want a to good, feel that it's a good, It's a good exhausting. That's it good. is. Okay. Thank you. This was thank such you. a pleasure. Um, pleasure. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Again, if you want to sign up for Lvest, go to lvestcom slash Betches. Use the promo code Betches. So thank you so much. And until the end of democracy, I'm Sammy Fishbein, and this has been the Betches Up podcast.
3: Betches.